0: Hey guys, before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to our level three courses. When and I tried to sit down and do some big swanky radio advert and it's just not us. So I'm just going to chat about it for a minute. So our level three training is the same price as some other courses out there where you just get five days and you are out the door, do your coursework on your own. Our course is for the same price is 10 days of training so for our may cohort that's five days and then we have a bit of a month off to just let that settle we come back for a weekend maybe do a bit of camping then we have a bit more time off and then we come back for another weekend with the september group we do five mondays starting in september then we have a bit of a break then we come back in the new year and do another five so we're really like focusing on building community as we go We didn't really want to do that, like, conveyor belt thing. We could be doing, you know, a level three course every school holiday, banging them out, off you go, but we don't want to do that. We do Zoom calls throughout the year. We do loads of, like, cohort, you know, community building sessions and stuff to help people with what they're doing, and that means that we want to do it well rather than doing lots of it. So we're trying to help people do that, and we're also really big on this community aspect, and we found that people not only find the course easier to do in terms of workload, but also easier to do emotionally when they do it with somebody they already know. So to try and encourage that we're doing a train together kind of offer. So if you and someone else, you know, sign up to do the course with us together, we'll give you some money off your course because we found that it, the uh, success rate is much higher, people are much happier while they're doing the course. And it makes our life easier as tutors because, you know, happy students, motivated students, we're all kind of getting on together. So, if you want to be part of a community rather than just being put through a conveyor belt, then have a look at our website. It goes to myforestschooltraining.co.uk. That'll take you to the Children of Forest website, and uh, you can go from there, get your application in, and uh, join our communities. So, on with the podcast. I'm Wem. And I'm Lewis.
1: This is the Forest
0: School Podcast. Let's go. Hello. Hello. Hello.
1: Welcome to the show. Here we go.
0: What did you say, off. Annie You said uh, there's a there needs to be a word for when you um, get around an awkward situation by saying it's not awkward, is it? It's not. I mean, it is yeah. slightly awkward. It's on um, Secret Life of Five Year Olds. They it. had yeah, they had a little girl on there who um, the you know the. Horrible people that set out the experiments are behind a thing and they're like, sometimes children have big emotions that they can't process and so it comes out through song and craft and then it cut to like a girl, like a four-year-old in a tre- in a little tree house on her own, just going,
2: I love my mommy, oh. I love her so much, oh. I kiss her today.
0: But like, not dramatically singing it you know with a tear in her eye just she was like singing it as she banged her feet on the swing and like yeah yeah. I I think I must have said this before it's also how you have awkward conversations I have awkward conversations with my partner you've left your shit all over the house
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah it's very non-confrontational isn't it to do that
0: or doubly confrontational
1: Passive aggressive.
0: Yeah, yes, because it's like, could you just have a sit could you just be for once? Could you not? Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yep, yeah. Yep, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so so can I just say this the, this I feel, I don't know how I feel about you doing a podcast without me. It's fine. It's not <laughs> fine. No, it's completely fine.
2: Yeah, I'm just, I am
1: I am sad to have missed it because I have listened to this podcast. Um and uh and you met a really cool person who I wish yeah, that I, I could. Met have met Lara.
0: Too. Well Lara no, came so no. Lara got in touch with us ages ago, um, to say they're planning a trip and they're coming to the UK from Canada, from Ottawa, um, and did we have time to go meet and like show them the programme and uh, what we do and everything? Um and we weren't running anything, you know, at that point um in the summer, so I just went in and I had a I think we recorded about an hour, I was there for about three and a half hours with Lara, just walking around, chatting about what we do, talking about different programmes and how it all works. And um, yeah, it was really good. Mm. It was a a very intense networking thing. You know, we always say that going to local FSA meetups or the FSA conferences are good because you talk to people about your practice. Yeah, like, yeah.
1: Helps to crystallise things, put it to focus, and I just yeah, I just love hearing about other people's stuff, especially stuff in other countries. I will never get bored of hearing someone talk about like the environment that they're setting in a different country, you know, or the weather and all those kind of things, which you talked about with, with Laura. Mm-hmm. Um. So, listeners, so if there's anyone else who is working somewhere that isn't in the UK. Um, and you want to chat with us, then drop us a line, because I'll always say yes. Um, or oh, is the UK, yeah, but is in the middle of Devon. True, 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 true. True there. Um, yeah, I was on holiday. That's why I wasn't there. I was I was in Greece, reading a book, snorkelling in the... Yeah, if you... so I can't, I can't be too, you know, annoyed that I wasn't there.
0: No, but and if I... anyone's wondering, like, what you and I... To relationship is like you i sent you something and you sent me back a photo of a very big bowline. yes i ship, did from the ship that you were on so joe <laughs> went across europe and sent me a picture of a big knot
1: yes I was like, this big knot. it's like it's good
0: Lewis it like big back. knots i'll show him this big one
1: yeah yeah lovely um yeah, so listeners, I think you'll I think it's I think you'll enjoy this. It's a very interesting podcast, and um, I don't know if we have anything else important to say. Do we have I would just to say,
0: say? Uh, that it is a slightly different podcast than we've done before because I wasn't interviewing Lara just about her practice. There's also bits of Lara asking me yeah. about things that we do. So because we and and some of it is stuff that we get asked a lot by people who go, oh, I really like the podcast, how do you do this thing, how do you do this thing, so it was nice to have it like recorded a bit, I was slightly nervous that you weren't there because there was no one to fact check me, or go, <laughs> like, we've never done this nurse. What, what are you on about, but I think <laughs> you've listened to it and you've not called me out on anything, so what? people who want to know about our practice as well, this is a good one, it's got some little nuggets in there about what we do, mm-hmm. so yeah, enjoy When it's just a need, when it's just like your self worth is in the toilet, there's a hole and you in my need heart. Be, yeah. Yeah,
3: there's a hole in my heart, yeah. and I need you to acknowledge me. Yeah. I need you to say you see On me. On the doing subject of thing.
0: acknowledging you, I should probably, because I've already started this. Um, so, I'm in the woods, we're in the woods again, but with no whim. Uh. And I'm here with Lara. Uh, do you want to say a little bit about you, about you and what your work is? And maybe, like, how did you come to do your work?
3: So I'm Lara Purvis, and I run a program called Out to Play. And Out to Play is in Canada, in Ottawa, in Ontario. And and in the city of Ottawa, in that while it's not in the downtown, it is about 15 minutes from downtown, um, in an area that has lots of houses, lots of schools, lots of shops. Malls and shopping centres, and and Ottawa has a lot of green space. So a lot of protected space, owned by well, we'll be careful about owned. Uh, a lot of green space managed by the city of Ottawa, sure. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and managed also by um, the National Capital Commission, and uh, and that's protected conservation and agricultural land, and it. Runs a big band of green space runs right through the city including through like the downtown areas and along the river so out to play is in that green space and in natural spaces across the city So public parks, okay, and um, and we run forest and nature school programming for children ages two and a half to four are the preschoolers mm-hmm. four to ten are the foxes are the school age children, and then eight to twelve are the older children, and um, and they're called wolves. And we don't yet have a program for teenagers, and I say yet because I know it's a need,
2: mm-hmm. and
3: we're thinking about it. There's so many needs, mm-hmm. and we're presented with ideas by the community all the time. Like, have you thought about doing overnights? Have you thought about doing teenagers? Have you thought about doing um, all-day family groups? And We're presented with ideas very, very often, and then we have to say, wonderful idea. We'd love to do it. We need to pause and go slowly, Mm -hmm. because going slowly is what makes our, it holds us to a certain level of quality and intention and thoughtfulness. So those are the programs we run. We run pretty much five days a week. I say that because sometimes we run six, and we have a team of educators that are teachers, and and early childhood educators, a child and youth worker, a recreational therapist. Wow. Yeah. Our spaces are awesome because we've got meadow, so that's, that's farm, and then forest around the outside, and our shelters are wall tents, so canvas wall tents.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. How big are the shelters?
3: About 16 by 20, so quite big. Meters? Uh, feet.
0: Oh, feet, okay.
3: Yeah, quite <laughs> big. Um, we get huge winds, and those sh- wall tents are anchored down into the ground um by ropes and like these spiral anchors and, Oh, yeah, um, yeah and, But the winds make them shake and
0: lean I, Yeah, when you um, sent me the stuff about your program, I was reading it and going, was it min- minus 25, minus 30 or something? Right
3: <laughs> <laughs> I don't even talk about winter because I forget how unusual it is, but yes, we run programs through winter and it can be minus 20, it can be minus 24, 25. We haven't yet hit a day when we have not run program because of the temperature, but it is possible. Mm-hmm. But we have run it in minus 20, minus 22, minus 24 degrees Celsius.
0: And just to be like a sadist, how was that? <laughs> <laughs> I want to know about that experience.
3: I, um, the children are dressed well. The children are wearing their base layers, um, so often that is like a merino wool base layer, mm-hmm. and over that is often um, fleece pajamas, a lot of pajamas, right. yeah. fleece pajamas. And then over that is, um, is going to be their, their snowsuit, and, and that's uh, water resistant, waterproof on the outside. They're super cozy. The parts of them that will get cold if they stop moving mm-hmm. are their fingers and their toes. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've got great socks on. We find that one pair of socks works better than two because you need some air circulating around your toes.
2: Really?
3: Yeah. Mm. And, then, and then really waterproof boots. And then our job as educators yeah. is to um, really keep them moving.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And so we're busy and yeah. we're animated. And we're confident mm-hmm. and we're excited about the weather and we're exclaiming about how beautiful it is because they're sometimes being dropped off by a parent who's feeling a lot of trepidation. Yeah. Um, and, and we need both their parent and, their, and the children to know that we've got this. Mm. We know how to play and stay warm and be comfortable in this weather.
2: Yeah. And
3: when we need to eat, we'll go inside and sit by the wood stove which has been burning for a few hours. So the tent okay. inside is warm. But as soon as you open the tent all the way up and everyone creeps us <laughs> in, all the cold air yeah, comes in yeah, yeah. and we need it to warm up again. They keep their outdoor gear on inside mm-hmm. because going in and out lets a lot of heat out. Um, but they'll take off their mittens and they'll eat their food. And we'll change mittens often.
0: Uh, okay.
3: Change socks anytime they get damp. Right. Um, and, and then we're okay.
0: Hmm. So when you say change mittens, do you change them just when they get, when they get damp? When they've yes. been playing in... Yeah. Presumably and they get the damp so fast. Yeah. Even yeah.
3: when it's freezing cold. How do you so
0: find... So a lot of our learners and learners that come here, I'm sure it's... Uh, universal thing is like the trade-off between mittens are warm, but gloves give you dexterity. You know, like that thing mm-hmm. of like, I really need to do this thing. and I'm doing something now with my hands. Yes. Um... But you know, a mitten would be in some ways warmer.
3: Yes. So, some of our children will wear um, glove liners inside of their mittens. Okay. And that's like a polypropylene or it's a synthetic material that is quite warm, but it's definitely not good enough to take mittens off for extended periods of time. Right. And they can take their mittens off, do a thing, put their mittens back on. Um, And then we have to switch them again when they get wet. Right. And as educators, We feel a fair amount of, like, I'd be lying if I said we are relaxed in those temperatures. (laughs)
0: Yeah, sure. I can imagine.
3: Yes. There's a level of anxiety that we carry quietly, and we're just always watching to ensure that children are comfortable and safe in those temperatures, that they're moving. If a child is feeling overwhelmed by the cold or feeling like I can't do this with the cold... It's okay for them to take some time to sit inside,
2: mm-hmm.
3: have a little warm-up. Yeah. We will take off their mittens and we will do a dragon breath in their mittens. Oh, yeah. Which isn't so COVID-friendly right now. Sure. But we'll blow hot air and we'll show them how to do it. I've sat with a child, of have taken their boots off and I've warmed their toes in my hands. Oh, wow. Yeah. And put their boots back on, made sure that they have decent socks. And then that's why we have... I told you about our, our gear library, so we've got about eight huge bins of warm gear. And that's because we need to, if a child arrives with cotton socks, we
0: mm-hmm.
3: need to take off those socks and put on warm socks. And we have to do it without saying to the child, your socks are wrong. Yeah. These socks won't work. Mm. Something you and your family has done is inadequate. That's not the approach we're gonna take, but we're going to say, I have some socks that might make the difference, Mm. let's go get them, we'll tuck these into your backpack and then we'll warm up their toes and put on some really warm socks.
0: How do you uh, navigate, um, I don't know if you have learned it, so like uh, the coldest we've ever done here is minus four and we were all very impressed that we did minus four. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, Celsius. We do Celsius for temperature and then we pick and choose from Imperial (laughs) when we want to. yeah, so minus four celsius and uh we were all very proud and uh <laughs> a little bit shit now but yeah and um the you know and we did we did quite a lot of sessions where it's like zero or minus one and that's cold that's cold for us and cold for i think with all these things it's like it's always relative to what you're used to you know like the kids here are used to these climates minus four is cold to them um uh, but a lot of the work we do and, has, and have done is, is with um like neurodivergent learners or learners with different needs. And like winter I find the time where you you can sometimes become aware of sensory issues mm-hmm. that aren't present in the summer because in the summer it's fine or you just, you know, the kids walk around here barefoot some of the time and do whatever. It's only in the winter that you go, whoa, could you put that on? They're like, sensorily it's not happening. Mm-hmm. Do you have similar experiences and mm-hmm. how do you, because 25 has got to be, Minus 25, so it's got to be a different ball
3: Yes, and we we don't have the same flexibility with that feels uncomfortable for you, so it's okay if you don't wear it. Um, But what we do have is a really great relationship with our parent community. Mm -hmm. So parents who know that their children have sensory issues and that might struggle with wearing something that we offer, because mm-hmm. often it's like something that's unfamiliar, yeah. that they don't know what it's going to feel like. Uh, they have been sent with a back of ba- backup bag filled with extra gear. And every child arrives with a backup bag filled with extra gear because they've got a list, a packing list. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those parents um, are sometimes reaching out to us to say they will only wear socks that hug in this place and this place. Wow. Um, if a sock feels too tight, they won't wear it. If a sock's going to droop down, they won't wear it. And then we've got a child who's really sad and unhappy that might be tearful because their toes are sore.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And uh, and we really need them to be able to have socks that work for them. So that's when the communication between us and a parent is critical because they know what their child will wear. Mm. And, um, and we'll make a phone call home right. to say... Um, we're struggling with the cold a little bit they're not liking these socks the parents are already like "Mm -hmm, yeah Yeah, totally called that (laughs) right i've already planned for that or i'm on my way with some options
0: great yeah that's really good to have a that level of open relationship and like acceptance around them just being needs you know and it not it i don't know how to phrase what i'm saying now you know just to, to have parents that are that on board with like yes to know it's got a hug here and here and here and not feel embarrassed about that and not feel anything else and just to be like they want to go out Mm -hmm. so this is the stuff
3: yeah and I think that we are very aware of how much trust they have in us if they're dropping off their children in a day that it's gonna rain all day it's gonna pour all day and you dropped off your children and trusted us or it's going to be minus 20 all day and with the wind chill it's minus 24 and you trusted us mm. and so we're very aware of that trust and I think that it um, facilitates us being really communicative with our families and our parents and them knowing that they're doing their part too to ensure that their children are going to stay safe and comfortable mm. and it does ask for a bit like I, I want to always acknowledge that it does ask for a bit of privilege it's oh, not,
0: um, yeah, without a doubt.
3: Yeah, it's not every family that can own some of that gear or just, like, zoot out from work mm-hmm. to quickly pop by and drop off a different pair of socks. Yeah. And um, and we're aware of that and trying to figure that out, how to become accessible to families who don't have all of that privilege to...
0: It's removing barriers, isn't it? It's, right. And, and that's... Yeah, it's a huge part of doing... I think anybody working in the outdoors at the moment has some level of responsibility to identify and remove barriers that they can and I think there's an there's an interesting thing where like I'm all, I'm conscious that um so our, we just did in our last podcast episode about play and it being teachers responsibility to like advocate for play and I was listening back to it and I was like well I do sort of agree, but there's also going to be that contingent of people who didn't get into the job to do advocacy. I don't mean that in a way of like, that's not poo pooing those people. And like, in the same way that, like, you might go into it because you, into teaching, because you like doing stuff in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And then somebody tells you that, oh, also you should be trying to change the education system in the country. You're like, whoa, 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 I just mm-hmm. wanted to, you know. I just wanted to do drawing on the whiteboard and go A for apple, B for bear sort of stuff. And similarly, like, it's trying to make, in the outdoor world, make it clear that we have the opportunity to remove those barriers. Mm -hmm. Um, But not to make people feel bad if they're they're not able to because they've got, you know, if if their bowl is full of stuff already, if their cup is already full to put on another thing of mm. like, oh, and also you have to be doing this thing. So it's
3: Especially like, on teachers who oh, are working yeah. so hard and are being yeah. asked of, and doing so much unpaid labour. Mm. I think I like to think of it as like people like you and I and those that choose to do the advocacy piece are doing it so that not everyone else has to.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um. I want to s- move slightly over if we can. So one of the other things that you... You very helpfully sent me a list of things which is really interesting to read Um, and I think we can this will be seamless you ready Uh, in minus 25 we're just talking about dexterity and stuff so you and I already had a chat about tool use and stuff Yes. so I wonder if I can ask you about tool use in extreme temperatures and then maybe you and and you can ask me about tool use here because I didn't really answer your questions earlier yeah but so what does tool use look like in those temperatures or in your setting in general, I guess, because you're not always working you know.
3: Yeah, so in our setting in general, we're seeing children um, not often ask for tools because they are so actively engaged and we don't have our tools lying out on a table um, that their eyes fall on them and they're like, that cool axe, cool. can I use that cool right. thing? Um, But there are children that know that they can walk up to us and say, can I whittle? And we'll say, absolutely. Or we might say, right now for me to sit with you while you whittle isn't going to work because I'm also supporting these friends over here. How do we feel about doing it just after lunch? Um, and, And that might be an approach that we take. And it takes me back to part of the conversation we were talking about where, you're often looking for opportunities for children not to have to ask you for things, not for you to be the gatekeeper. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to tools for us in our program, we are gatekeepers. And and that, I think, has something to do with the fact that I think that we are in a slightly more risk-averse and conservative society with mm-hmm. children's programs um, than you have here. Like, I'll come back to the tools, but the sure. playgrounds are a wonderful example.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah Your yeah.
3: adventure playgrounds um, in the UK, there are so many of them. Mm-hmm. And there's even the ones that aren't noteworthy, even the ones that don't say some kind of like Google review, this is an awesome natural adventure playground, even mm-hmm. the ones that don't say that are so special that the materials are made out of wood and there's ways to move water and there's ways to climb things. And there's so many different ways to move across that giant pile of logs or through that hollowed out log and, and up that net. And we don't see that a lot. What we have a lot of are metal, colorful, Playgrounds where mm-hmm. it seems like there's only one way to do things. Mm-hmm. And and it's pretty small. There's often a fence around it. A lot of your playgrounds have an area that's fenced, but then the playground continues on the outside of the fence and kind of gradually weans into the park. W- and I've mm. noticed that a fair bit too. So there's this like there's this invitation of motion. And maybe you're bigger, you don't have to stay inside the fenced in area, but the logs continue and the net to climb continues and it leads you out into, towards a zip line or something and then the park continues mm. and there's no one person standing next to the zip line saying, yes, you can go, you need to wait, yes, you're big enough to go, you need to wait.
2: Mm.
3: It's just there and it's this invitation that says, I trust you, you are worthy of my trust. Have those a great time. Are,
0: those are sadly in the decline. Those, so um, I don't know how much of the history of, Na- of um, adventure playgrounds you've looked into. They were a big um, like 70s and 80s uh, program. And it came along with something in this country called Playworking, which was all about facilitating play. And it came under a, um, a very pro-social Government lots of money into programs that helped children and programs that helped all the stuff, and um, we're not in that situation now in in 2022. We've moved away from those things, or the government has moved away from those things. Um, to I think playgrounds are more and more on their way to, as you describe, you know, colourful bars, and this is the way round to do it. And there's one point of access. Um, so
3: disappointing.
0: Yeah. It's and it's a thing that is um you know it's great that the adventure playgrounds and stuff exist and in the you know they're not obviously not as um dense as they once were and they've a lot of them have had to shut because they move to becoming a as we were just saying like a privileged thing they rely on funding right. they rely on charitable right. status um there's big movements you know in the country where we build um like new build developments you know yes. someone's going to build 40 houses someone's going to build a hundred houses then they um,
3: have to put this much money into
0: uh, well so the park is always the last thing to get built okay uh or the social space or the school or whatever it is and they will most likely be what you're describing yes as you know
3: that's hat. how ours come to be too but yes yeah.
0: um and I think there's something about, it's very hard to, it's very easy to argue for more protection. It's very hard to argue for more risk. Yes. It's very hard to undo it and say, well, this playground exists. Why don't we make it more dangerous? <laughs> like that's insane. You know, or
3: more exciting. Or
0: more exciting. But the idea that you would be removing safety in some way, it sounds different, doesn't it? Like rolling something back away from safety is harder than... Do you know what I mean? Rolling it towards.
3: Certainly. And
0: it's a creeping thing of like, it gets a little bit safer and a little bit safer and a little bit safer um, until it stops being fun, it stops being a thing. Um, I will just, so we were talking about access to tools and stuff. Um, So, in terms of like removing boundaries and gatekeeping and stuff, um, so that cabin is shut off. That's for me and Wem, nobody else goes in there because, as you've seen, the wall is covered in mm-hmm. sharp, pointy things. Um, we have some big trucks. They're like uh, big container box things. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them has loads of drills in it, like hand drills. Mm-hmm. And another one has hammers and nails. And we will get those boxes out and put them up on that table over there. Mm-hmm. And we'll know that that's going on. In terms of everything else, we do gatekeep. We do have ex- almost e- word for word, can I come and whittle? yes I'm just doing this now but I will come and do that thing there's never a time where we would just go like yeah the knives are there help yourselves do whatever because (laughs) it just I think that would for me that would border on negligence Yes, because you need to know uh, uh, what do I think I think you have to make trade-offs in different places so one of the trade-offs that we have is our site is only three acres you've had a little walk around and seen 80% 80% of it um, we don't keep the group together yes. they can just go because three acres is enough that in two minutes you can walk from one side to the other you can see where everybody is because we're a hill we can see lots of stuff going on that's you know as it is um, some people I know run forest school in 45 acres mm-hmm. and he has to keep the group together because you can't just let 15 kids go in 45 acres mm-hmm. You know, so our trade off of freedom physically comes at a restraint here yes in terms of this whereas so if you've got this 45 acre site you might keep all the kids in a 20 meter space and then you probably could be a bit more relaxed about the box of knives is there because
3: everyone's right here everyone's right here you're yeah. only
0: watching a small bit so our trade-off is like big freedom there so we do slightly restrict what's going on there and the tools will have different you know um, depending on the kids we might have between 5 and 8 of them whittling with one of us nearby um, if one of them wants to get an axe yeah. then that's more of a one to one thing Yeah. somebody once told me if, you've, if you cut yourself with a knife actually it was Martin I don't know if Martin listens to this he said if you cut yourself with a knife it's so sharp that by the time you've told someone you've cut yourself mm-hmm. it's already started coming back together because those cuts are so thin And so if you cut yourself with an axe, that finger is on the floor for quite a long time Mm -hmm. before, you know, so that you're doing that risk Mm
2: -hmm.
0: assessment, risk benefit analysis all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think tools are something that you do need to slightly gatekeep. But Mm -hmm. people are, one of the big things that I've started doing is like, so we've got our saw buck up there and it's as long as you are doing relatively the right thing in terms of like you know as long as your hands are behind the ears or antlers or whatever you want to call it um and you're doing this motion there's very little that can go wrong there
2: mm-hmm.
0: the, the, the the risk of it is actually pretty low so parents often look quite taken aback that like i will do a couple of pulls yeah so ours is a, a bow yes and I'll, I'll give the kids the handle and i'll go on the other side we go backwards and forwards backwards and forwards and then i will look up to the parent and go you can do this can't you and just assume confidence yes L- like you were saying about being confident with the clothing you just go like you can do this can't you you can hold this put your hand there and they go y- uh yeah you go right cool crack on then give them the saw yeah and then i've taken myself out of the equation and that's really empowering i think for a lot of parents to like they're not expecting to be involved. Mm-hmm. They're not expecting to be given autonomy and all those things and like reduce it. Sorry, this is my alarm to tell me that it's half past 10 I should probably eat something.
3: Oh. <laughs> and I ate your granola bar's <laughs> That's
0: fine, I will eat later. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so, and actually one of the things you asked about was like tools with toddlers, like specifically young children. Yes. And I, you tell me if I'm wrong. I sense that there's like that risk aversion thing. The, the younger the kids are, the higher that sense of risk aversion is. Um, so there's different things that we would do. So like, have you done whittling against your knee?
3: Um, this whittling like this? Yes. Yeah, I'm, so I'm that doing a motion of like holding it across my. Sure. Yeah.
0: With, I'm going to do a slight bit of training now for everybody listening so you put your <laughs> knees together and you move it away and you put the stick across yes, your body that's you actually come.
3: the way we mostly whittle
0: perfect right so there is another way i'm going to use a stick as a knife um which is where if this is your knife you hold it against your knee and instead of the um you put the handle on your knee and instead of the knife moving the stick moves
3: oh that's interesting
0: and it is remarkably hard to do anything
3: That's great. So the worst that
0: can can happen is you put your hand too far forwards and you come in. So you do need to watch, obviously. But for lots of learners, the act of pushing with a blade is really hard, Mm -hmm. but you put it on your knee Mm -hmm. and you pull under Mm -hmm. and actually you've changed. We're all um, humans, biomechanically, we're stronger at pulling Mm -hmm. like this muscle works better. This muscle's rubbish. I'm doing this and people can't see. Your biceps are rubbish, your triceps are really good. So <laughs> pulling with your triceps has more strength. So putting there and there, you're using this big muscle underneath. So with smaller children, we would either do that, or if they're with their adult, quite often they'll just mirror everything. And I say, sit on your parent, everybody's knees go this way, parents arm goes round, everybody's here. Mm-hmm. The risk is mm-hmm. not really any different to a five-year-old doing it on their own
3: so you will put out a bin of drills and a bin of hammers and nails hammers and nails and you will walk away
0: so dependent so this is everything we do is like group dependent learner oh, dependent yes. who is it how long have they been coming yeah. all this stuff um, a toddler group that everybody there has been coming some of our toddler groups, like the newest person has been coming for six months. Right. right. And, then, oh, and the longest term person has been coming for three years. Okay. Actually, more than that cause we've got some people that are coming with their second kids. So, okay. the, you know, the, you're talking about adults that have been here for ages. So it might be that they're up there on the table. Yes. And that we are, for the sake of people listening, 20 meters away doing some painting here. The line is clearly visible. Yes. And you know, you can see everything that's going on. I guess the thing would be, what's the worst thing that can happen? How likely is it? And does it make a huge difference if you're there in five seconds or one second? Yeah,
3: someone's banged their finger with a hammer, they've already banged their finger with a hammer and you're right there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And and would you and this is the thing is like it's like engaging with it enough I think the thought process then getting through like I could be standing next to them they'll still hit their thumb with yes. a hammer either way in some ways they might hit it more because I'm making them nervous mm-hmm. so having a bit of like I always think of it as like elastic you know like a bungee cord mm-hmm. and the more comfortable I am and the kids are with mm-hmm. the tool the further I can pull that elastic yes um, you know so it's not a this is why it's hard when we do like Training because we do training for people to do forest school and stuff, and people really want a like. How far should the seats be away from the fire? How many children is it? What's the ratio of two-year-olds when they're doing knives? What's the ratio of a ten-year-old with a drill? Yes. And you go, yeah,
3: it's relationship based. It's a
0: relationship based and it's individual learner based. Mm. You give me five people where all you know who are all neurodiverse, and I'm not going to stand as far away as I am with a different group of learners who have different needs and who. Do you know what I mean? Like
3: yes, and I find that to be a tricky thing to explain to people because we, when we're making those judgment calls, we're relying on our experience that is informing the decision that we're making.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And, uh, and our relationship with the children. And then a new educator doesn't necessarily have um, those gut instincts that they can pull on. Yeah. And so that's why they're looking for the exact distance.
0: And that makes people feel safe. Yes. Yeah. I think there is something I watched once. I once watched someone do some forest school sessions. And um, I realized, like you're saying about that gut instinct. And um, they didn't have the, like, I would call it helicopter sense, in that they would sit down with a group. And wouldn't look up from what that group was doing right. uh, as opposed to I don't really you know I'm focused on what's going on here but I'm also my ears are tuned in over here and half my head is watching this and my peripheral vision and like it's a really hard thing to teach someone isn't it like
1: mm-hmm. yes
0: you know um, so yeah it's very I think like when you went you went in the cabinet you of went oh shit there's a lot of tools <laughs> so in many here. tools yeah. yeah and I think that's you know you and I talked about spiky profiles yes. of different forest school people doing different things Yes. and like you don't have to get any tools out to do forest school
3: no you don't and yet like if in my case I feel a desire to bring more tools into our work at Out to Play we've got the occasional saw and the whittling knives and and then a mallet if someone's going to help us split kindling. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel the desire to bring more tools in because I grew up as a little girl child who saw um, the adult man using tools Mm
2: -hmm.
3: And, and then luckily my father, who didn't have a son, was willing to have me help him with things, saw that I loved it and then taught me how to use so many tools and how to build things and, and I know that so many people who have grown up as had that like girl experience lived experience as a woman they haven't had a lot of representation of like you can do this thing they mm-hmm. haven't seen it a lot and they haven't had a lot of opportunity and it's very gendered Mm -hmm. So I really want more tools in our practice and in our program so that it can be this non-gendered thing, this accessible, anyone can do this experience. Because learning how to build things has to be one of the most empowering experiences. Definitely. To not have to always rely on someone to do it for you. Mm -hmm. which i think can really limit us as adults
2: oh definitely
3: so i i I am interested in having more tools and seeing that wall of big sharp things
0: what do you think might be your big sharp things things. (laughs) so you've got mallets and saws and a knife what do you have an idea about like i want to bring this one in but I don't know how. Or do you?
3: I think that um, what I would like to do is something I had an idea of before I opened out to play, and then I just it just got like nudged aside. Is we don't have a, like a tool area, okay. and you have a, like a, you use tools in different areas, but you also have an area that invites and calls to tools. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I I think that will be something that I would like to create based on what I've seen here. Um, that and your blackboards, which for listeners is the the way to help children take turns without ah,
0: they've heard us bang on You've heard about this, yeah, over that. and over again,
3: <laughs> yeah, with <laughs> <laughs> without being forced to share. Um, but yeah, the, a tool zone will probably naturally invite us to uh, feel safe experimenting, pull out swords more
0: mm-hmm. would
3: be nice. Um, yeah,
0: we found having uh, actually, one of the big things that's changed recently is having a range of saws so like we started with uh you know the training that women i did it was like a bow saw is the saw right you, yeah? me too right.
3: that was the one i learned
0: and it actually took a little while before we were like oh okay well we you know we buy um big bags of off cuts from timber mills yeah so they're about this big mm. it's like the size of a coaster and they're about centimetre thick, and it's all offcuts of planks and whatever else. And you buy them for like two quid. It's a big dumpy bag of them. It's amazing. And so the kids make stuff out of that. They make models, they make robots, they make figures, whatever else. And a bow saw's not the right tool. Right. So we started getting some coping saws. You know, they, they look like tiny bow saws. Like oh, a, cute. A little thin thing yeah. and then a hook. Um, and uh, and that just opened up this whole thing of like. Actually, sawing doesn't have to be this huge thing where we use no. a whole. But sawing can be yeah. taking these little V shapes out, and then we've got some, you know, we've got some timber saws, you know, like a Bob the, you know, a, a saw, saw mm-hmm. that you would draw, um, and having them, you know, you don't necessarily need to go and get like an ads and a fro yes. and a spoon carving gouge and all these. Like, actually, even in just terms of axes, like. uh, do you have a side axe?
3: No, I don't actually know what kind of okay. axe I have.
0: So axes come in all different shapes, sizes. Yes. So a side axe is an, an incredible tool because if you think about okay. if you were looking... Um, if you were holding an axe with the blade pointing away from you, like handle down, blade pointing yes. away from you, and um, you've got the, you're looking down at the handle and it comes together like this, right? Yeah. Like it comes together in the middle. Um, which means you've got... So that when you split, the wood comes off in a V. Yeah. So a side axe is off to one side. Okay. So you have one completely flat side. Okay. So if you want to make a bench, you can't make it with a normal axe. Mm-hmm. You need yeah. a side axe.
3: Right, Right. it needs to be flat it on one side. It needs to be
0: flat on one side. And having a side axe opens up a world of possibilities that just a normal axe, you know, a bog standard I've been to, yes. whatever to hardware store and bought an axe, yeah. suddenly a side axe is like... Oh, okay, we can make flat things now.
3: So what have children, how have they used the side axe?
0: So we've made some bushcraft benches before.
3: And um, the boards you have to stop erosion and to create steps, are they from a side
0: axe? Yeah, so some of that is from a side axe, some of that is from a throw. Okay. So a throw is, a, is a, an old tool that just looks like a steel bar. Yeah. with a big, And the handle goes up rather than down. So you knock it in, and then when you pull the handle down, it opens up the wedge. It's splitting it's splitting in a very uniform way so people used to make shingles out of it okay. and chestnut that splits in this anyway i'm waffling on but like these tools are i think people there'll be loads of people in a similar situation to you where they're like i've got a box of axes i've maybe got like a hammer what do i need to get next and then and your brain goes to like let's get the kids chainsaws let's get the you know <laughs> like why well, have whatever and like, actually just going like, have you got a slightly different variation mm-hmm. on what you've already got?
3: Mm-hmm, that's like, a nice idea. Yeah. Because yeah, then you're growing also within your comfort zone. Yeah. yeah.
0: You don't want to be, and, and I would always say like, give yourself a couple of months with a new tool yeah. before you bring it to work, you need to be doing stuff with it. Super comfy. Super, well, not even super comfy, but like confident enough that you could go, here's a couple of things I've made with it. Yeah. Or here's a, you know, I've got this really, so you can still, I think if you go too long, you stop being excited about it. You still want to bring it in with some excitement, like, I've got this fucking axe thing, (laughs) and it's well good. Let me show you what it does, you know. Um, Like, I'm still uh, learning to use, you know, crook knives, like, for spoons. Yes. I'm still crap with them, but I still find (laughs) it exciting. Right. And they're an interesting thing to get out of the box. And the kids are like, what the fuck are you doing? You know, yeah, I'm doing this thing, and like, scares the living daylights out of me. We've got a double-sided one. So it is a blade on both sides. So right-handed and left-handed people can use it. Jesus Christ. It, genuinely, it, it would go through your thumb and not think about it. Yes. It's so scary. But it's really exciting yes. for that reason. Yeah. Um. And I think one thing I would say, you may already do this, but like it was such a big learning point for me that I feel like I want to put it in this recording, was um, we for a really long time didn't talk about what to do if you cut yourself okay so we would go through all of the like you and I just did put your ears aside go like this do this um and then go you know that'll keep me nice and safe that'll do all this stuff and um we had a couple of learners then who had accidents who cut themselves and they thought they'd done something wrong okay uh and then we went to we went to a festival Wem and I together and um we saw a guy, it was a festival where children earn a knife license. It's a cool festival. So the kids have a little sticker. And it basically means you, if you see that kid holding a knife, they're all right. From f- three, right? And they can go and do whatever they want. They're walking around this festival fucking tooled up, right? It was <laughs> incredible. I saw a four-year-old with a two-foot machete, like, hanging off. And he had the sticker, and you're like, okay, you know what you're doing with that. That's fine. Um, but the guy doing the licenses was like, when you cut yourself... Not if, when. If you use a knife, eventually you are going to cut yourself. It's not a bad thing, it's going to happen. You grab it, you put it over your head and you shout, Lewis, I've cut myself! <laughs> really loud. And you make it funny and you make it stupid. And like, it just takes, you know, we've re- we watched that and both Wem and I have walked out of this tent feeling like we suddenly had knife licenses. Right. And we were like, oh God, that's why people have been like hiding their cuts. You know, we had one kid genuinely cut his hand and walk off and didn't tell us for half a day. Because we told him how to cut he'd done something wrong and he thought he was hiding the evidence.
2: Yeah.
0: And so actually now we've included that. Now whenever we do a tool talk. And it just to remove some of that stigma, to remove some of that guilt and be like, Mm -hmm. if something goes wrong, this is how we're gonna deal with it. We're gonna do that and do that.
3: It makes so much sense and I never thought of it before, but when we put up slack lines and, and things that children are going to climb, we will say, and when you fall, because did you know that when you play, you will fall sometimes? Yeah. When you fall, you might get a bump or a bruise. You might need to hold yourself. It's okay to ask for help, but I've never said, and when you cut yourself,
2: mm.
3: put your hand above your head, hold yeah. it really tight and shout, hey, Laura, mm. I need help.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and it's such a small thing, but like, you know, and also in terms of confidence.
3: It says you're okay to make a mistake. It's okay sure. to make a mistake. And maybe it wasn't even a mistake. Yeah.
0: The when sometimes needs work on. You can see someone's already bricking it about holding a <laughs> knife. And you go, when you cut yourself. You might like, tone that one down. <laughs> but like, yeah, they like say it's something we put in other practices, but we don't always bring it over into tools. Because yeah.
3: Yeah. we're feeling scared on their behalf sometimes. It'd be uh, nice. Really. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that might be why. But
0: I think that I've said this to parents before which is what I just go, yeah, it you know, toddler groups and stuff and I go, yeah, but I have a different connection to this person so I'm more comfortable putting them at risk. <laughs> and not in a horrible way like I'm going to throw their yes. kids, you know, but just like I don't have the same parental attachment to your children as you do. Mm-hmm. And that's not a bad thing.
3: It's not life-threatening the no. risk that you're putting them.
0: I'm just looking at things in a slightly more, like, calculated way. My emotional input is different in this scenario. Pro- hopefully, that's useful in some ways. Do you have anything where... You said you do family... Oh, no, so you said someone asked you to do family things. Do you do, do, do any do family, family f- stuff? We okay. do a
3: family group. Often it's um, a parent and... One toddler and one baby, Okay. because maybe they're on leave Mm -hmm. and and they can join us and they're looking for connection, looking to be outside and looking for help, knowing how cautious and how open to be when they're outside with their children. Mm -hmm. Often they're looking for that.
0: Is it quite a, so you said you're in the green strip? In the middle of the city, yeah. does that mean that the parents that come to you have a lower nature connection or like less experience in nature or is it are they
3: no nature connected
0: s- adults that are bringing their children or
3: they're often very nature connected adults who are looking to be outside more and have support with their children outside doing something a little bit more risky mm-hmm. sometimes. Uh, I don't know, you're a parent of young children, so you, I don't know if you've experienced this, but parents are frequently experiencing judgment um, or so, like, aware or looking to see if they're experiencing judgment. Yeah. And there's a, that's, the judgment is real, like, it's there. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, whether you're at the playground and your child has no shoes on um, and everywhere other child has shoes on or... Or maybe your child wasn't sharing that truck in the sand pit. um, Parents experience judgment so much. And and so a parent that wants to see their child climb and explore and feels quite confident that their three-year-old can climb up that giant tree and walk along it and sit down and pretend it's a train, but someone else is standing close by and saying, oh, that's a bit high, isn't it? (laughs) So they are looking for a safe space to
0: find your tribe.
3: Yeah, to Mm. find like space for their children to stretch out and explore Um, and sometimes they're looking for like support in knowing when to pull back Mm -hmm. and when not to. So they're joining us, so they're generally folks who have already embraced being outside and looking at how to do it with children Mm -hmm. and looking for community. Mm -hmm. Um, so, So it's generally those families and I would love to connect more with families who find it a bit harder and a bit scarier Mm
2: -hmm.
3: um, and families who are new to the country Uh and um, and figuring out how to do that because because we've got huge amounts of green space in in Canada and in Ottawa and there's so much to explore but it can feel very intimidating like when we have worked with schools uh, parents have asked um, are there going to be bears there? Um, and these are families that are... What's the answer? The answer is no, okay um, <laughs> These are families that are new to Canada and to them the forest might feel scary Yeah, and um, and I, we've been with children who have walked into the forest and and said I've never been in a forest before mm. and so and so those I have like a spe- specific soft spot for those mm-hmm. families and communities Um or the child who's never climbed a tree before and mm-hmm. you are present the first time they climb a tree. Like that's a real kind of magic.
2: Mm. Yeah, S-
3: that, That's all very special. And so finding ways to connect with those families and say, this land is safe and we've got you. Um, we're still figuring that out. Mm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, d- I realized I didn't answer. Earlier You um, you asked me Uh, I can't remember exactly what you asked me but you said like how do you tell the parents about what's going on or how do you we were talking about that friction of feeling like you want to say something or you don't Mm want to say something it's like I feel like I've been on a huge journey with that and it's not always been like a pleasant journey and I didn't always get it right Mm -hmm. and like um, you know I can remember really things I shouldn't have done like very directly challenging something somebody you know but it was (laughs) like you say they say the example you gave of someone walking along a high thing and somebody being nearby and going oh isn't that a bit high Mm -hmm. and i basically did the same but from the opposite point of view like i told someone their kid didn't need to share Mm -hmm. after they would told their kid be nice and share Mm -hmm. and i like directly confronted them about it in public like at a toddler group in front of a couple of other parents and I it'd been going on for a while and I I just I don't know in the moment I just kind of went like now's my time I'm going to talk to you about this thing and that was absolutely the wrong thing because like you say there's judgment all over Mm -hmm. the place they're in my space right this is my setting they've come here there's other parents watching and you know however you want to perceive it maybe they felt like I'd called them out in front of other parents because i had and all oh, just this stuff that's like horrible mm-hmm. right they would never do you know i wouldn't do now and it's so much more i think now about so we have some we don't always get them out um like laminated cards with like a couple of key things with very brief like two paragraph explanations and we leave them out on the kitchen table where all the tea and coffee is so people we're not there when they read them but they say stuff like um at children in the forest we believe in allowing war play and then it'll have a couple of st- paragraphs about why why we allow war play and it moves on oh you know we believe in not always needing to say sorry a couple of paragraphs and we like partly that stuff's there to go this is our pedagogy this is what we're doing this is the space you're in mm-hmm. like get ready um and partly it's there so that like the example you gave for someone saying, you know, feeling that judgment of like, uh, I I should tell my child they need to share. I should tell my child to step out of the way or whatever. Um, And partly that stuff is there to explain why you won't see us do it. Mm -hmm. So quite often our toddler groups, we're off with the kids or we're away playing with the kids and the adults are sat here or they're doing something else. And those cards help to explain like, why you won't see us tell your kids off if they start fighting with sticks. Mm -hmm. Or why you won't see us, you know, tell people they've had two swings and need to go. Um, But I think most of what we do now is done through Mm modeling. And just and...
3: Yes, us too.
0: And have you come across the term pole bridging? No. Which is like just verbalizing everything. Yes. To the the ethos. Yes. Uh, To the ethos? To the ether. So, you're sort of saying it for the parent that sat yes. behind you and is listening, Absolutely. but you're basically just talking into the air, like yeah. I wonder if Tom's feeling okay about this, and I wonder if we could do this thing, and like, we
3: do that too. Great,
0: it's, <laughs> it's exactly that thing, isn't it? It's like um, uh, it's like modelling by stealth, yeah. And because there's so much stuff that goes on in that par- parental judgment space that's unsaid. Yeah. You know, it's like worry that someone is saying something, worry that someone is thinking something. Whereas if you could loudly be like, I don't mind that they're playing with sticks because I think it's healthy. You know, like it just helps people to feel okay. And if they're watching, they know we're not judging their kids. Yes. We're not doing whatever. Um,
3: I've walked up to a parent before who's watching and looking a bit concerned, but not it clearly not sure if they should intervene or shouldn't and mm-hmm. um, and i've said how does this make you feel oh <laughs> nice and and they will say i'm scared they're gonna get hurt or um i'm totally okay with it but i feel like you probably aren't like that and it's helpful it's a it's like a, a launching pad for us to talk about the emotional responses we feel Mm -hmm. to children's play, and also how we're going to respond in this moment and why. Mm. Um, You said that you support war play. Can you tell Mm -hmm. me more about that? Because I don't know if we do.
0: Sure. So... uh,
3: What is war play?
0: Playing at war, playing at war, playing at combat. I think people have a distinction here in the UK, where it's broadly... I mean, we've done a whole podcast about this, but yes. I will i will try and summarise it. So, like, people are sort of okay with swords and shields okay. and bows and arrows. Okay. Nobody's, nobody really has an issue with that. Okay. People might have an issue with the aggression that maybe comes with it. Okay. People have a strong emotional response to, bang, bang, pow, pow, I'm in the army, shoot you, okay. you're dead.
3: Yeah, and what about you?
0: Uh, well, so I was my own journey on it was like I was raised in a like no gun household but not even like here that doesn't mean no gun like nobody has guns here right we just don't have guns Um, uh, but what that meant was like I was not allowed to play that I had a gun I was not allowed toy guns I was not allowed to pretend something was a gun you know there was zero gunplay in my childhood Um, and uh, so that influences where you get to them when you talk about this and uh, I think again it's in Heather Schumacher's okay not to share. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I'm speaking on behalf of people, I'm trying to get to the other side of this. So, the worry is, for people that don't want to see war play, is that you're romanticizing something that is harmful. Yeah? Uh, you, I think that's let's, our... say, let's say devil advocate, Yeah. Right? So, that's, there's somebody saying, I don't like that because war is scary, they shouldn't pretend to be war. Um, it makes the, it'll make them grow up and want to be in the army. It'll make them grow up and be aggressive people. Okay, so you go, okay, right, I understand all of that. None of that is invalid, makes complete sense. Like you say, how does this make you feel when you see it? Mm-hmm. And that it's about how it makes us feel when we see it. Mm-hmm. We are adults, we have all the context in the world. We watch the news. When we see children playing war, we see actual war. When they are playing war, they are playing first and foremost and secondly they're probably working something through Mm -hmm. that they've seen that they've heard we've had children here reenact I'm going to be Russia and you be Ukraine
3: yeah we have had America and Mexico and a
0: war so if you have stuff that's going on that you don't understand internally right you might understand it in terms of Mm -hmm. you could tell the story but if children don't get a chance to play stuff through they don't understand embodying that thing if you want to, if you want something to develop empathy let them play at being the other side of the wall and not being let in mm-hmm. let them play at what does it feel like to be powerful and to not let someone in and to see how that feels because with all the empathy and, you know with all the understanding of the world you and i know that you can't say to children like you should feel bad about this mm-hmm. and they'll feel bad about it mm-hmm. when they play it they embody it it's in everything in some ways, allowing war play is probably promoting more empathy because you're getting the incredibly safe, right? We're not playing with real guns. No one's actually going to die. No one's actually going to get shot. But you do get to see the emotional, difference, the emotional impact of watching someone die in air quotes. Mm-hmm. You do get to see what it feels like to be powerful. You do get to see what it feels like when nobody wants to play because you've been too aggressive. Mm. All of that is safe in play. Nobody's getting physically hurt. Emotionally, you've got to watch it, right? You've got to see where is this yeah. in the line, right? But if my my daughter walks around the house and meowing on all fours, I don't worry she's going to grow up and be a cat. Are you sure? Well, slightly, but the, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we don't worry that children... Of course.
3: Uh, I think that's something that we've seen and and one of the reasons why... I've pulled back from it. So one thing is if I do see children engaging in play that they are clearly working something through, um, and there are power imbalances happening in the play, and there might be someone experiencing some form of emotional harm, unless I stay really present and communicative with them. Mm -hmm. And in those scenarios, I'll ask questions. I'll ask questions that might prompt a little bit of thought and I'll feel like this play is staying a bit safer emotionally because I'm hanging out and I'm playing alongside mm-hmm. Sure. Um, when we saw play happening where there was Mexico and the United States and a wall was being built mm-hmm. the children that were being aggressive and exclusionary mm-hmm. were children that Already carried more power. Mm-hmm. And the children that were being, you are Mexico, you are on the other side of the wall, were children that already experienced being excluded and were already trying to fit in and belong. Mm-hmm. So someone in the friend group with a bit more power decided who was who, and the game emerged organically. Mm-hmm. It offered us a lot of opportunity. This was a few years ago. It offered mm-hmm. us a lot of opportunity for conversation about what they had learned and what they might have felt and kindness. And again, it asked us to be very present.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: But it did feel like it had the potential for harm and and I would wouldn't be supportive of that playing out frequently or without an adult being there and holding a safe and supportive space.
0: So, just to pull out things I've heard. And you can tell me I'm hearing the wrong thing, by all means. So, there was a group that had power, and there was a group that didn't have power. Yeah? In this in it this. It was play? a group
3: of friends and as as you know in some groups of friends there's a few... Like, sure, there's children a who are tagging tagging, uh, Yeah, tagging along and yeah. Okay,
0: cool. So I guess one thing I'd be looking at would be... And in some ways it might... It, it's, it's probably more useful not to know what you did next because I'm... This is, if I was in that scenario, what I'd be looking at and trying to unpick and reflecting on all this stuff is going, okay, so they've got the power And these people have not got power. They've got power in the game because they can decide who's who. Do you know what I mean? Like externally from the the meta gaming of it, they had the power to decide you're on this team and you're on this team.
3: Someone did. Someone did, okay. But not everyone did.
0: Okay. Mm -hmm. And then... uh, So these people who are already in a low status position were then put in a low status position in the game. And I guess I would be looking at that, and like you say, I probably would have done the same thing and standing nearby, checking everyone was okay. I think what I would be then long-term looking at is like, if someone is low power, low status, is it helpful for me to just come in as a higher status person and trump the high status? Or does that low power group need help with advocacy and yeah. and everything else because in some ways and this is broadly war, war no, play and is, everything yeah, wonderful. so mm-hmm. they needed autonomy so loads of the work that we do here is about we almost every morning with our homemade group we practice stop i don't like it mm-hmm. i'm i'm in control of my play or um we talk about stuff like if someone says they don't want to play that doesn't mean they hate you it means they don't want to play that right now they might want to play with you later giving people autonomy giving people self self-worth you know and and autonomy over their body and their play and the ability to say i do or don't want to play that thing at any point and what i have done in the past is done that that teacher thing of like i'll solve this i'm the highest status therefore i shall come in and i shall address the power balance like, fuck all of I. My- address the power balance what I've done is there was low status high status and I've gone I'm even higher status Mm -hmm. I've reinforced the hierarchy hierarchy. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: and yes I'm standing on this side of the line but actually all I've said is well some people have more power than others Mm I we are so much of the work that we try to do is about trying to get you know people to Mm self-advocate and people to be able to go I don't like this play stop
3: so you might join in alongside the friends that um, are role-playing being excluded and and join into that play no. ask que- no you wouldn't I wouldn't join oh you would. wouldn't because then
0: I've still joined in because then I've still stepped in and like we said like it or not I have a hierarchy I'm six foot tall right. and I'm twice the size of all these children even right. if I step in and play and say I'm I'm on this side of the wall I'm still six foot tall and I'm still bigger than all these other children. And I'm still in charge and I'm still all these other things.
3: So in supporting their advocacy, how would would you do that? I would be
0: going, hang on, this person doesn't look happy. John, are you happy? And then John's...
3: Is this feeling good for you?
0: Is this feeling good for you? John, I've noted and I'd be... Also what I'm doing is pole bridging to this powerful group what I'm seeing on their face. So I'm going, I've noticed John, mm-hmm. John's, his face isn't happy. Can you, and I'll be picking someone on this side. Can you see John's face? Mm-hmm. Happy? Yeah. John, what's going on? What's, you're not feeling happy. Okay. Can you tell them what it is you don't like about the game?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Not me. I don't want it to be me. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be a mediator. I want yes. to be a facilitator. Yeah. And people step into the wrong role sometimes. Yeah. They mediate when they should be facilitating. Yeah. My goal is for them to talk to each other. Mm-hmm. If I can stay out of it, I should.
3: Mm-hmm. No? Yeah no, I think this like what you're speaking about is is a beautiful way of of not doing a top heavy uh, approach to to a tricky kind of play.
0: Yeah, and it's really hard. And this is where you bring in again: if you've got our parents' eyes on you, if you've got all this other stuff on you, there's an urge to like fix it quickly. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And the way to fix it quickly is to step in and Mm -hmm. to like. I can solve this, I don't like this, this person's sad, so let's not not do that.
3: And the learning just isn't as rich. Yeah,
0: we've, and we've all done that, right? And we've all, and, and mm-hmm. like every single one of us has done that, like, it just happens, uh-huh. and it happens, and sometimes like, the only thing you can do is to reflect after, reflect on it afterwards and go, okay, if I see it come up next time, because you might not see it come up next time, quite often it comes up with like, um, it's a really good book called Why were not We Taught This At School talks about fingerprint needs and how we just go in with some stuff so like someone might have a fingerprint need about fairness because something in their life means that fairness is super important so when something unfair like that play happens they're in they've solved it and then they go "Ah, fuck i didn't need to do that thing i
3: did it again i did
0: it again (laughs) and all we can do is try and like reflect on it and go okay next time okay next time okay next time Mm. and like that's where we all need to be doing this with teams, so yes. that you can set. Because Wem and I will quite often go. Uh, this is really challenging for me. Mm-hmm. Could you go watch that bit of play?
3: We call that tapping out.
0: Sure, it's <laughs> that thing, isn't it, of just like, nope. I, as a person, yeah. can't hold this right now. Totally. So can-, can
3: you tap in? <laughs> yeah,
0: and that's okay. And that person, you know, quite often that's good because that person hasn't seen all of the build up. Yeah. And. If you've been in a play cycle, if you've been with a group, as you've watched things go boom, 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 you might have a different view of what is actually happening. Someone else comes in and goes, well, they've just put some sticks on the floor and they're on that side <laughs> and they're on that side. I don't know what you're worried about. <laughs> you know, it's that kind of stuff. Um,
3: it is important to be aware of the emotional responses you're feeling in your body. Definitely. Mm -hmm. And I find uh, we talk about this a bit and I'm like your alarm went off to tell you to eat food. Mm -hmm. Um, we talk about this a bit in our team that for us to be on our toes responsive and the better version of ourselves as educators, we have to be comfortable with what we are wearing. Mm -hmm. We have to be like, not like, oh my gosh, my toes are so cold, my fingers are so cold. That's going to be, that edge of discomfort is going to make me more reactive.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Not responsive. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> So yeah, like really looking yeah. after ourselves, ensuring that we are not hungry, are not thirsty, are not cold, um, can sometimes mean that we can hold a bigger amount of s- emotional space yeah, for what's happening around us.
2: Yeah,
0: you uh have you come across the idea of uh cups that we yes. all have these cups and that if they're being filled and you need to find ways to drain the cups and so they don't fill over and like, yeah it's that thing isn't it
2: yeah
0: Amazing. well i'm just conscious of the time we could happily chat about things
3: it's been um, great
0: all day but um so if people are in your part of the world where can they find or not in your part of the world, where can they find out more about your stuff and what you're up to
3: well, if you want to look us up online, we're at outtoplay.CA and and we welcome visitors and tours as Lewis did for me today, which has been wonderful. Uh, and we also welcome volunteers to join us and observe. We often have practicum students with us and and I love this experience of discussing, how we do things and what we do the same and what we do differently. Um, I think it's the richest learning for me. Mm -hmm. So, absolutely welcome that if anyone would like to look us up and visit. Mm -hmm.
0: Amazing. Well, thank you very much.